0: I you go in your Bibles, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2 is our text uh, for this series. We've been in the series called Rebuild the Walls, looking at the life of Nehemiah. It says in verse 3, But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me, everybody say send me, me. to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. As we've been studying the life of Nehemiah, Nehemiah's heart is broken because the city of God is broken. I, I just want you to know this from the outset, that the condition of our cities The condition of our culture, the condition of our world should affect us. It it, it shouldn't affect us in that we want to just be outside of it. It should affect us in that our hearts should break for it. And that God used Nehemiah and the brokenness that he was in to develop burden for the place that he was supposed to rebuild. And we've been talking about burden, and for many of us, burden is, is negative, burden sounds bad like I, I i don't want a burden like I, I feel i have enough burdens i don't want any more burdens i'm married it, just that's a joke some of you, some of you said amen too fast we we don't need any more, we don't need any more burdens but i want you to know this a burden of the lord is to carry the concern of the lord so the things that are on his heart, the things that are on his mind, when we pick those things up, then we would say we carry the burden of the Lord. Nehemiah's plea in, in, in this text is this, Lord, send me. I see the broken places of culture. I see the broken places in the city of God. So I'm not just going to sit back and say, Lord, send someone. Nehemiah stepped in and said, Lord, send, send me. I can't remember what, what grade it was. I think it was fifth grade that I was playing peewee football and I was more like watching pee football because I was really small. It looked like a bobblehead on the field because the helmet was so big. And, and uh, every once in a while I would, I would get in the game. And, and uh, I remember this one game. Our, our team in a small little city, you play one game every year underneath the lights. It would be a night game underneath the lights on the high school field, high school stadium. And uh, so we were there. My grandma, who's with Jesus now, she was there. And so uh, the whole game I'm like, oh, man, I got to get in. Like put me in, put me in. And I remember it was like fourth quarter, super close. Game and um, I hear my name, Bates Bates. You know, I'm running bobblehead, running over, and uh, I'm running on the field to my position. Like, kept on looking back to see if grandma was watching, you know. And uh, and, and and I get out there, and stats don't matter, you know, it doesn't matter that I that I won the game or the two sacks that led to fumbles. And yeah, I mean, just it doesn't matter any of that, you know, that's just it's neither here nor, you know, doesn't, doesn't matter, but I will say this, there's something. About your name being called. I'm gonna tell you this is that for many of us, we want to be called by God, but the way that God calls us is oftentimes through burden. And when I, when I got my name called, I'm ready. I'm like, put me in, coach. I, I, I always knew in my mind, no matter how small I was or how big the opponent was, I just had it in my mind, like, I'll find out some way. I'll find some way. You know, if I got to chew off their kneecaps, if I got to trip them, if I got to do something dirty, you know, I'll do whatever I got to do. But, like, like, I'll figure out a way. So I'm like, coach, if you knew what you had in me, you would put me in. Like, I, well, when I heard my name, something came alive in me. I'm going to tell you this, many believers are hearing their name from the Lord. But because it's not the way, the tone, or with what they want, we turn a deaf ear to the cry of the Lord. I'm telling you, God knows your name. God knows who you are. He knows what you've been through. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. But friends, it oftentimes comes as a result of burden. We've been talking about this, that brokenness can turn to bitterness or burden depending on where you take it. So, so each of us, if we, if we walk through our story, and we've heard an incredible story today, if you walk through people's story, you would hear stories of brokenness. Everybody has places of brokenness in their heart. When Nehemiah heard about the brokenness of the city, it broke his heart. And then the Bible said that he began to fast and to pray. When he began to fast and to pray, the thing that broke his heart became his burden, and the burden led him to build. I, I want to just show this because we've been talking about it for a couple weeks, so go ahead and put that up on the screen. I want to I show you r- visually how this actually plays out. Everybody in their life is going to experience brokenness. You- you're you're going to walk through some degree of disappointment crisis, challenge, complications, trauma, brokenness. What you do with that brokenness really determines what you're going to do or what God will do with your life. You can hinder or aid God in the purpose for your life by what you do with brokenness that life gives you. The Bible teaches us this, that the world is in the hand of the evil one. So many people that try to reconcile why bad things are happening to good people don't understand that the world is not in God's hands. The world has been given over to sin and to the world. That, that's why Christians get sick and non-Christians get sick. The Bible says it like this. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. So this is not like, man, I've been going to church religiously. I don't know why my bank account bounced. Well, you spend money just like everybody else. All right. This this is the world that we live in, the laws that we now are a part of. But what you do with the brokenness determines how God uses your life. Brokenness for Nehemiah was the brokenness of the city that broke his heart, and he took it into God's presence. He took it to the place of prayer, and it became burden. And the burden then led him to build. You know, a lot of people they just stay broken. Their entire life, the thing that broke them is the thing they talk about. Is the thing we were at a restaurant the other night, and uh, there was this loud group on the other side, and uh, it looked like guys that had graduated high school about 20 years earlier, but they never really left. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like in my head, I was like playing the narrative. I'm like, oh yeah, back my senior year of high school, you know, I threw the, I can throw that ball over that mountain, you know what? And we were kind of making fun of them, but but some people. Have broken places that keep them from ever moving on. Now, that, that's not to have a, a not to have a heart of sympathy or compassion for what breaks you or for what you've gone through, because this place is real. And we as a church have to be with people, walk with people when they're in this place. But it doesn't stay there. If brokenness is not brought into the presence of God, and I try to understand it, it will lead to bitterness. When brokenness is tried to understand through my perspective, my lens, it oftentimes will lead to bitterness that says, God, why did you let this happen to me? You ever said that? You ever heard someone say that? God, why did this happen to me? And eventually, you will burn yourself out on faith, on believing, because you will, on this side of heaven, you're probably not going to know why. So you could spend a decade of your life trying to figure out why she did that and you probably never find out why this happened or why God allowed this and you will burn yourself out in your faith. But this is, this is what we've been talking about. If you take your brokenness and you bring it into the presence of God, we heard Jennifer's testimony. She took a broken situation into the presence of God. Her husband had faith standing with her. It became a burden. Do you know, do you know what she does now? She's building women's lives, helping people, helping women walk through some of the most difficult seasons of their life. She could have went bitter and burned her brain out trying to think why it happened. But instead, she went to prayer, to presence, it became burden, and now she's building. Does this make sense? What you do with the brokenness determines the burden that you carry. The burden that you carry determines what you build. Nehemiah chapter 4, a couple chapters later, we read part of this text last week. It says in verse 13, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by, not by soldiers, not by rank, not by experience, by families, with their swords, spears, and bows. I don't have any of those things, but... Anyway, you get the idea. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and who is awesome, and fight. Fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Now, this is interesting. It says that he stationed them. He positioned them at the broken places. Friends, you do not need to be stationed at a place that is not broken. So some people say, why, why is God always calling me into these broken places? Because he doesn't need you in the fixed ones. I mean, it's, not, it's not that difficult. It's, he doesn't need... It, some people say, I just want to see miracles. If you want to see miracles, you also have to see problems. Because a miracle is the intervention in a problem. Right? I just want to see God do some healings. Well, there's got to be sick people. Right, so, so we want the fruit of the miracle without the need for the miracle. This is, what, this is what Nehemiah is saying. He stationed the families in the broken places of the wall. I want you to know this, that in you, there is brokenness from your story, that God will produce burden in, and your occupation is not your identity. There's this idea right now that I'm only a minister if I'm in full-time ministry. You are in full-time ministry. Just because you're not in occupational ministry does not mean you're not in full-time ministry. That means wherever you go, your sports teams, that you are a representation of Jesus. Your workplace. You're a representation of Jesus. You don't have to give up on ministry because you work a nine-to-five in, in some cubicle somewhere. You can be the light of Jesus there. And what do you do afterwards? What do you do before? And what do you do online? And what you you are a minister of the gospel, a representation of who Jesus is to you. He stationed them at the exposed places. God assigned a person to every problem. God assigned a person to every problem, and He assigned them by family. Now, I want you to get this. I'm going to tie my shoe quick. Talk to your neighbor. <laughs> Tell them how good they look. Double knot. He, he assigned them by family. That was Jamie's job to make sure my shoes were tied before I came on the stage. She missed her family assignment there. <laughs> it's all right. There's grace. There's grace. Can I, I want you to know something. We can't do it without God, and he won't do it without us. This is why he assigns family to purpose. This is why he assigns family to broken places. God God won't do it without us. We can't do it without him, but he won't do it. he chose to use us. He chose to work with people. He chose to link arms with humanity. He chose to work through the broken places of our story to turn it into burden to call us to places where we can build. To be trusted with a burden is exactly that. Or let me say it this way: to be burdened is to be trusted. To be burdened is man, we, some of us, we just try to avoid burdens at all costs. So I want life to be easy. I just want to like, I want to go to church and don't say anything too convicting. Pastor, don't preach on sin. Don't 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 tell me to raise my hands. Don't don't yell at me too much. Like I just want to be safe. I want to be easy. Life's not safe. You can hide in your bedroom all you want and pretend like the world's not crazy. But friends, at some point, you're going to have to come out and recognize that you are a part of a world that is crazy. So it would be better to understand that the burden of the brokenness cannot be avoided. It needs to be embraced. And when I embrace the burden of the brokenness, oftentimes God will give me the strategy in how to rebuild that portion of the wall that he has called me to. To be burdened is to be trusted. Let me, let me just t- tell you this. It's an honor. It's an honor to be trusted with a burden. It's an honor. I remember eight years ago now, Pastor Steve and Lisa, our founding pastors, they gave the church to Jamie and I, and they handed the church over to us, and and, and we were both honored and burdened. We felt the weight of the assignment, but we also honored that they trusted us. It is an honor to be, if God chooses you to step into a broken place, instead of kicking against the assignment, you should say, thank you, Jesus, that you trust me. It is an honor. It's an honor to be trusted with this assignment. David said, it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. A, a door key. He's like, man, I don't even need a good job. I don't even need a good place to the broken wall. I would just be at the door if I can just be serving you. It is an honor to be trusted with a burden. It is also, it's a promise. I love this. I'll explain this. It's a promise to be trusted with a burden, which means this that God wouldn't have burdened Nehemiah to rebuild something that he wasn't able to rebuild. So this is where the promise comes in. Because if God put a burden on you, it's not to tease you. The reason that God put a burden in your heart is because God is trying to do a work through your life. So, we as a church have a burden for the next generation. That burden is a promise. That burden is a guarantee that the next generation will serve and love Jesus, that they will stand up and be counted with biblical worldview, with godly standards. We believe that because we have a burden. So, we say, Well, I can be burdened about a lot of things. That burden is an invitation for the power of God to begin to work in your life and through your life to rebuild broken places. You know, one of my pet peeves is when people tell me it's impossible. We actually made it when the values of our church, all our staff know it. We value impossibility. And we we say it like this there's a yes somewhere. Find the yes. Like this is this is like a it's a it's a really bad day in our staff when someone tells me, I don't think there's a way we can do that. I'm like, I don't know if I need you here. <laughs> I love you, but like I could have figured out. That we couldn't do it. I'm looking for somebody to say, I think we can figure, we'll figure out a way. I, I, I got faith to believe. We'll pray. We'll fast. We'll do it. We'll, we, I, I'm looking for some can-do faith people that carry the burden of the Lord. And the burden is a promise. God, God didn't give Nehemiah this burden for him to get to the wall and realize, I don't think I can build it. He gave him the burden because God knew. That he would bring people around him that would help him build. Do you remember what we studied already? Is that Nehemiah wasn't a wall builder. He was a cup bearer. So he wasn't even a wall wall builder. But he had a burden to build the wall. So he obeyed, said, Lord, send me. And God brought builders around him. That's a word for somebody. It's because God's asking you to do something and you don't have the expertise, you don't have the knowledge or the education to do it. And so you've been waiting and delaying. And if you would just say, yes, Lord, send me, God would send people around you to do what you don't know how to do. Because a burden is a promise. It's a promise. It is a joy to be trusted with a burden. I think this is a difficult one for me, but there's so much truth in it, that the burden of the Lord is actually an opportunity to walk in joy. That even in the weight of being able to see the brokenness of people or the world or situations, it is a joy to carry the burden of the Lord. It's a joy to be chosen for the work of the Lord. It's a joy to be chosen by God to do something for God. It's a joy for God to say, I see brokenness in that area of culture and I'm calling you to go in it. Not only is it honor, not only is it a promise, it's, it's, a, it's a joy. It's a jo- what would happen if we started seeing the burden of the Lord as a joy again? I, I, I called it this week because I was studying. I just, the, 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 there is a burden of joy. A burden of joy. Lord, give me, the, give me the burden or give me the joy of the burden. Nehemiah chapter 8, four chapters later. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. It says, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest. Hold on. Look what Nehemiah is doing now. He's the governor now. He started out as the cupbearer. Then he went and rebuilt the wall. Now the dude's the governor. He says, and Ezra the priest... I thought it was interesting. Anyways. Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites, who instructing the people, said to them all, the day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send me some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. Now listen to this. Some of you didn't know this is where the scripture is found. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's on your dining room wall. (laughs) And you didn't know it came from old Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the ones that penned these words. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now I'll give you some context. They had finished the rebuilding of the wall. Ezra, who is the priest, now comes to read the word of God to the people. They have a sacred assembly. They're ready to read the word of God. Now, you got to understand, this is Old Testament, Old Covenant. The only law they have to read is the first five books of the, of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Y'all ever read those? That's all they got. Man, you, when David is like talking about the goodness of God... He got that from those books. We've got the New Testament, and we can't find the goodness of God. It's like David was reading the law and found out how good God was. Ezra reads the law to the people, and the people are shaken to the core with conviction because they hear all the law, and they know how they live. And so they begin to weep. And this is where you see Nehemiah get up and he says, hey, this is not the time to weep. Now, Nehemiah was prophetically a type and shadow of what would come in grace. In the New Testament, we know Jesus died. He shed his blood. He gave his life for me and for you so that we could be connected with God. Sin has kept all of us from God. Romans says for all, how many? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, each and every one of us. So some of you that came into church today and you're feeling really bad about yourself, you're just as bad as the best person in the room. So stop giving in to condemnation and shame. We all have sinned, and we all need a Savior. So Nehemiah said this is not the time to weep and to mourn. He said, this is the time to rejoice, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Friends, that joy was a prophetic type and shadow of our connection with God. I don't know if you know this or not, joy is found in the presence of God. Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy, where? Where? In your presence, in your presence, in your presence, what Nehemiah was saying is the joy of the Lord will be your strength. The people thought, well, I can't be connected with the Lord because of my sin. But Nehemiah foretold the coming of a Messiah, a Savior who would take the price, the penalty for our sins, that we would be justified. You know what justification is? Just as if you've never sinned. Do you when you come before God, God's not saying, oh, when you were 13, my gosh. When you come before God in the name of Jesus, it is as if you're coming to him just as if you've never sinned. That's crazy. Some of you are like, man, I should have worshiped a little more more freely. I I should have came to church a little more often. Some of you watching at home, you didn't come today because what you did this weekend. Justification is just as if. I've never seen. So Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy comes from a relationship. And I know it sounds cliche, but I need you to catch this. And I need a little bit more monitor here. My voice is gone. Joy comes from being connected to Jesus. Say, like, oh, that sounds too simple. Don't knock it till you try it. It's like there's people who say, man, I think that, you know, that might, you might want to pray. You might want to fast about it. I'm like, I don't believe in prayer and fasting. Well, you've never done it. So don't say it doesn't work and don't say you don't believe in it if you've never done it. It's like people say that about tithing. That was supposed to be just for the first service. I accidentally slipped it in for you. But it, you've never tithed. Don't say it doesn't work. Well, I don't, I don't believe in it. That's, that's old covenant. What are you talking you never even done it. Why don't, you, why don't you do it and then make a, make a determination? Why don't you obey the Lord and then make a determination on, on what it is? Joy comes from connectivity to God. I'll show it to you. John chapter 15, verse 9. It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11, watch this. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Most people separate these portions of scripture. I'm attached to the vine, right? And then later, he wants his joy to be in me. No, they're they're connected. The only way that the joy of the Lord is in me is if I do what John 15 says to do, which means I'm connected to the vine. He's the vine, we're the branches, and we connect. So this is what Psalm 16 says, that the joy of the Lord is found in the presence of God. So I don't need to try harder to have joy. I need to dig deeper. Do you see the difference? The, the, the Bible says that joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Right? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Anybody know? Love, joy, we got gotta got. A, I mean, y'all know the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit. Now, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I've never seen like a tree just like get really bent out of shape, stressed, anxious, sweating about getting fruit. We do sometimes like have joy. I'm supposed to be joyful. I'm a Christian, my God. If you would get connected... You would have joy. I know. I know that we have problems with connection. It was proven to the world in 2020 and 2021 because we can't even talk about it anymore. That's your broken place. Take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. To get tense in here. Just saying. 2020 fruit is a byproduct of connection. Peace is a fruit of the spirit. So when all the Christians didn't have peace we needed the fruit of the Spirit. When all the world didn't have patience, we need the fruit of the Spirit. When all the world did not have joy, we need the fruit of the Spirit. Now here's the problem, is that for most of us, joy, what we know it is similar to happiness, which means if all of these things work out, then I have the emotion of joy. If all of my circumstances align, then I feel joyful. Like, I'm, if you're sad today, we could probably make you happy. Right? Like, we could, we could do enough things. Like, you know, you had a bad day. You lost your job. But somebody gives you a check for a million dollars. You're like, I feel happy. I don't know. I don't know why. I'm just kind of grinning a little bit, just smiling a little bit. I got a little, got a little bounce in my step. I don't know why. But we know why. Your situation just changed. But, friends, there is a, there is a joy that is not connected to outside circumstances there is a joy that you can pull on that in the middle of chaos in the middle of crisis that you can dig deep and pull from the vine that is Christ and you can be filled with the fruit of the Spirit that's the testimony to the world is that when the same things hit them that hits us and you still have joy that's the fruit of the Spirit let me tell you a couple of things that joy is as we close. Joy is expecting good. You've heard me say this before. If, if it's not good, then God's not done. So if it's not good, God's still working. So joy is expecting good. Some of you are like dreading tomorrow. The Bible says stop worrying about tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough worries of its own. I have to dig deep and connect to the vine. And I can pull peace from Jesus. I can pull joy from Jesus. Joy is expecting. Tomorrow something good's gonna happen. What if something good doesn't happen? Well, tomorrow, the next day, something good's gonna happen. That's how you should live. Because if God burdens you for it, it's a promise that He's gonna bring it to pass. Joy fills you with strength. This is what Nehemiah said. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Despair will drain you of strength, but joy will fill you with strength. You ever been on a mission trip, maybe a third world country, and you see somebody that has like maybe nothing and they have joy? And you're thinking, man, I'm getting convicted because I was just mad because that kid stepped on my white shoes and he doesn't even have shoes. But he's happier than me. What's happening? The joy of the Lord will be your strength if if you allow yourself to be anchored to Christ, to draw from him. You know what the problem is? Not just maybe you're an unbeliever in the house, that's all right. There's atheists, agnostics, all different religions come and watch. Uh, you're, You're welcome. But let me talk to the Christians for a second. You know why Christians don't have joy? Because we have bought into the lie that joy is right circumstances. And enough money and enough popularity. Listen, if that was the case, the world that has money would be happy. But they're not. I read an article this morning, actually, about an actress who says at the peak of her career, she was in the most shows, the most movies, she said it was the most hellish time of her life. While the world celebrated her, she died inwardly. If it was that, we would be happy. But Christians have bought into life. I had what they had. Actually, it would work for me. It would not. You would be just as unhappy. You would be just as dark, just as down, du- just as discouraged. Friends, joy, as simple as it sounds, it comes from the presence of God. Joy is expecting good. Joy fills you with strength. Now listen to this. Joy is grown in the presence of God. Yesterday I wrote, joy is found in the presence of God. And then I crossed it out this morning. And I wrote, no, joy has grown. Because if it was found, it would be like one day I'd wake up and look, I have joy. This is awesome. I found it. It hasn't been that for me. It's been, man, life seems crazy. All oh, that hurt. And that's some brokenness. But I feel like, God, I feel like some joy has grown in me. I, I'm just going to sing about how good you are. I'm just going to begin to rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice I'm going to talk about and remember how you were faithful last year and you were faithful last month and I don't feel that good but I feel joy growing in you got to start growing some joy in you friends and it happens by being in his presence it happens by growing in relationship with him I know it sounds cliche I know you could already check the box and say you've heard it but have you done it? Have you done it? Have you been with him in his presence? Have you connected with him? Have you pulled life from him? Have you pulled joy from him? It's real. It really works. Habakkuk chapter 3, last scripture, verse 17. It says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, This is a bad day. I just like this is, this things, things are not going well yet I will three of my favorite words in the entire Bible yet I will rejoice see this doesn't make sense why would you have joy in the midst of all that? how do you have joy in the midst of all that and it's found in this yet I will rejoice in The Lord, I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Although there was lack, Habakkuk chose to rejoice. Do you know what rejoice means? It means to give expression or voice to your joy. I like that. Because some of you look really mad and you say you're joyful. Like we should just all take a smile break because some of y'all look like you're hungry. Maybe that's just me. My stomach keeps growling. Joy should be evident. And rejoicing should come out of your life. It should be on your face. It should be in your words. I don't know if you've ever really seen a worshiper, like a real... Someone that'll worship and have joy in the midst of crisis. I'll never forget one of my good friends. Many of you know him, David Coe. He lost his wife just in, in COVID just a, a little while ago. And he have got his funeral right here in this building. And, and I'll, ne- I'll never forget it as long as I live. We're at their funeral, and he's right there with a smile on his face, worshiping. I'm like, whoa, that does not compute. That's sadness, that's unfair, that's bitterness. Why God? But he brought brokenness into the presence of God and he was able to rejoice and again I say rejoice. He was able to worship God because he understood who God was and he understood the source of his joy was not in having what he wanted or avoiding the loss of this life, it was in finding him. Friends, that's the answer. It really is still Him. It really is still Jesus. It really is His presence. The joy of the Lord is your strength.